Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is an old friend, Matthew Hennessy, the Wall Street Journal's deputy op-ed editor. Before he went to the journal, Matt was a an associate editor at City Journal, where he wrote any number of articles for us on numerous topics. Uh, today, we'll discuss his brand new book, which is coming out this April, Visible Hand, A Wealth of Notions on the Miracle of the Market. Uh, it's published by Encounter Books. Uh, April 12th is the official release date. Visible Hand offers a guide to basic economic principles and written in Matt's very punchy and clear English. So, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. No, it's my pleasure, Brian. It's good to be back. Um, so the book begins with an admission. You were not an economist. In fact, you acknowledged that you once found economics somewhat intimidating. Uh, much of what you know about the topic, you've learned through observation, self-guided study. So what prompted you to write a book on this this subject, and how was your perspective on these issues formed? And really, what can a non-specialist bring uh, to uh, the topic of economics that a formally trained economist might overlook? Well, I I started writing the book for uh, the same reason that I often set pen to paper, which is bec- I get an idea in my head and I can't shake it. Uh, the first victims of this idea usually are my family, my children. So I find myself um, lecturing in the car or in the living room on a certain topic. And I think to myself, well, I might have a few things here to say that people might be interested in uh, beyond this captive audience. And, um, you know, I try to pull the thread and see if there's a see if there's a, a, a big a big ball at the end of it. In this case, there was. I'm not an economist. I'm a writer. I'm a journalist. Um, I did study a little bit of economics, and I do work for the Wall Street Journal, so I have a little bit of a professional background uh, in uh, journalistic economics, if 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 that's a thing. Um, I think that this is actually a pretty good time. It might always be a good time to remind people of the virtues of capitalism, uh, the virtues of the free market system. I don't like to call it a system. I don't think it is a system. I think it is what it is. It's, uh, it's no more of a system than gravity is a system or, you know, the weather is a system. I guess the weather sometimes is called a system, but uh, it's just uh, it's a set of uh, objective realities that we that we that we live inside and around and which govern our choices. And um, often we lose sight of how much good it's done for us. Um, we we hear a lot of criticism, almost constant criticism of capitalism for its shortcomings, of which of which there are many, but very rarely do we or, you know or too rarely do we hear um, about the benefits and the benefits are are so extreme that they're um, that we've come to take them for granted. So I wanted to remind people of the benefits of, of capitalism and get a few things out of my head that had been uh, rattling around there for a long time. So the title of your book, The Visible Hand, of course, is a reference to Adam Smith's concept of the invisible hand. Smith is considered by many people to be the father of modern economics. But in the first chapter of your book, you, you note that he did not invent capitalism, but rather simply described it. So why, you know, why is that description uh, important? And what effects did Smith's 
a description of the workings of our economy have on politics and society. Well, Adam Smith's invisible hand is sort of the controlling metaphor of uh, free market economics. If you know nothing about um, economics, you probably heard of the invisible hand of the marketplace. Um, I certainly did, even at a time when I knew next to nothing else about what economics was or why it mattered. In my mind, I imagined one of those big foam fingers that you see at a football game, we're number one, and I just sort of imagined, well, the invisible hand must just sort of be pushing people into stores and uh, reaching into their wallet and putting the money on the counter and that kind of thing. So it has a power, a descriptive power that people understand or think they do intuitively, and it's gone everywhere. It's it's the one thing that most people know. So I thought that this is a this is a good way to approach what what I'm arguing, which is that the effects of um, uh, the effects of what Smith was describing are, in fact, very visible. You see them all all the time. You can see them all around you. The forces that he um, he and others helped to uh, define for people um, were not inventions. They didn't uh, they didn't cook them up in a laboratory. They didn't design them in a studio on a canvas. They observed them. Uh, Smith is an economist. Uh, people who are a little savvier would call him, call him a, a philosopher or a political philosopher. In our own day, I think he'd be considered something more like a social anthropologist, a social scientist, perhaps even a journalist. Because when I read uh, The Wealth of Nations, it reads very much to me like a, uh, uh, a, a very, very long uh, reporting assignment. He's got a lot to say about what he observes, about how people organize their uh, economic lives, their commercial lives, how they spend, how they save, how they earn, how they produce, and how they consume. And it's difficult to approach. It's hard going. It's not a fun book to read. Um, And it's very intimidating in terms of its size. Uh, But there's a lot of collected wisdom in there that has been reduced, unfortunately, to this notion of the invisible hand, which has been further reduced um, by pop culture and sort of, you know, the enemies of capitalism to greed is good. And so uh, I think that Adam Smith needs uh, periodic vigorous defense uh, because he did not invent uh, capitalism. He did not invent uh, the, the, the forces of supply and demand, and he did not unleash them on the world. Um, it's always been interesting to me that he wrote The Wealth of Nations, or he published it, I should say, the same year that the Declaration of Independence uh, came out. <laughs> so there's some sort of like connection there, some sort of flowering of genius that happened in 1776 or in the 1770s that uh, has, you know, it echoes through the centuries and, and, and it continues to inform and guide our lives, both politically and economically. I've always been fascinated by that. Um, so uh, I think that if you're an American and you consider yourself a somewhat educated person and you're interested in politics and the way the world works, you have to have some sort of basic understanding of who Smith is, who Smith uh, was, and why we still, um, why we still operate under the, uh, in the world that he sort of helped illuminate. Um, here, you know, a more personal aspect is, uh, of this book is uh, you, your parents owned a bar. 
you've written about this for City Journal, in fact, and you write fondly of your time working there when you were in your teens and 20s. But in your book, uh, you caution readers not to, quote, fall into the trap of thinking that small businesses are good and decent, while big businesses are bad and mean, end quote. Now, this is uh, something you hear from politicians a lot, you know, come, comes up in presidential debates. And it's, it's an intellectual position that's also been developed and held by a number of people like uh, Louis Brandeis uh, or, or somebody today like L- L- the economist Luigi Singales, who hold the concentration is very bad for the economy, uh, that capitalism does uh, sometimes encourage monopolistic practices, and that the government should intervene to prevent mammoth businesses from forming or break up those businesses into component parts. So what, you know, what's wrong with that view? Well, I don't necessarily think there is anything wrong with that view. I don't have any, um, I don't have any particular brief against antitrust or, uh, you know, uh, I, I certainly am not uh, a champion of monopoly power. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that we frequently, uh, as you say, we hear politicians lionizing the small businessman or uh, the, the little entrepreneur or the, the, uh, the person that uh, managed to build up a little business uh, in their backyard or out their uh, front window. And the debate sort of like uh, about those people is often very laudatory. Whereas when we discuss larger businesses, um, and of which there are many um, uh, that are not Amazon or Apple or uh, Exxon, uh, you know, larger businesses, um, uh, the point I'm trying to make in the book, are not that different really than Hennessy's Washington Bar that my dad owned. Uh, they are, they operate in the same, most of the time in the same uh, environment, just on, you know, just, there's just more of it. There's just more to do that, and there's more to buy and sell. And it's at a scale that that exceeds, uh, you know, the individual person's um, ability to grasp just sort of intuitively, like most of us could understand what it would be like to run a a small restaurant or some kind of a a business out of your home or uh, off the internet or something like that. A bigger business like GE or, uh, you know, some sort of car company or a Hollywood studio is really not it's not really easy to to understand how it's such a complicated uh, thing that the, the average person can't really um, put wrap their mind around it. So we have a tendency to think uh, big is bad. If we can't understand it, it can't be good. When in fact, big businesses um, supply most of the things that 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 we that we buy and use in our daily lives, and they they do it in a way that is. Um, affordable to us precisely because they are big. Um, You know, we do sort of understand this intuitively that if you go to a family-owned restaurant, you might pay a little more for your hamburger, but you're getting, you know, the family, you're you're helping out a family uh, who is running a small business or whatever. But if you go to McDonald's, you would not expect to pay the same price for that hamburger. Fact of the matter is most people in the United States get their burgers from McDonald's and not from some little, uh, you know, farm to table restaurant in the Catskills or something. So my point simply is that um, in telling the story of my dad's business uh, was, first of all, to say that 
you know, a version of, isn't this a great country? Because my father um, had no business training whatsoever. He had a career as a teacher and a social worker uh, that wasn't really paying the bills. He sort of stumbled into this opportunity and he made the absolute most of it, really through intuition and hard work, uh, showing up and getting, it, it, the business just took off uh, in a way that no one would have anticipated or predicted based on his background. Um, and there's no, there's no other country in the world where a thing like that is possible in, precisely because um, we embrace and support entrepreneurship and we recognize that the free market has uh, certain advantages over a controlled economy. What I'm saying in the book is that I can see that my father's business, as small as it was, played a, a part in a, in a, it was a sort of a hub of a wheel that uh, with spokes that supported other businesses, large and small. Uh, you can take that sort of hub and spoke idea and just expand it out and you get, eventually you're going to get to Amazon. Uh, Amazon is a big company and it, and it, and it, and it's like a, you know, a battleship. It, it dwarfs a lot of things. When it comes into the harbor, you can only see Amazon, but it also supports a lot of economic vitality when it comes into the harbor. Um, and so long as it doesn't block out the sun, which is the problem of monopoly, uh, you want that ship in the harbor because it's um, helping support a lot of local business. So uh, my simple, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm far from the right person to, um, to, to ask about uh, uh, antitrust and, and, and sort of the details of that's a whole, uh, there's a literature on all that kind of stuff. And I would leave it to the academic economists to to deal with the with the um, the negative the negative externalities that come from size in in uh, in in the microeconomy, uh, you know, a lot of polls today, Matt, um, when when they ask millennials about their views on capitalism and socialism, the the results suggest a, a rather alarming support for socialism among younger people in America and pretty critical views of capitalism. Uh, you know, what's your take on that? Why why are millennials more predisposed to saying nice things about socialism? Well, I have to um, begin by saying that millennials are not so young anymore, Brian. Um, so it's a mistake to uh, to uh, use use millennial as a synonym for young people, um, as I've learned. Uh, <laughs> millennials, for the most part, are twenty five and up at this point. We have another generation called Generation Z or something else, uh, generation to be named later, uh, you know, exhibiting all of the same uh, habits and predilections of younger generations from time immemorial, which is a, which is a, a sort of an idealistic uh, attraction to collectivist economics. Um, so I wrote this book, Visible Hand, in part because you may have such a young person living in your home. Uh, and you may want to drop uh, a little knowledge on them with uh, uh, through my book. I, this is this is not a book for people who have degrees in economics, or certainly not advanced degrees in economics. Probably not a book for people that work in uh, the financial economy, or uh, you know, it's this is not for accountants, and this is a book for people that about economics for people that don't like economics or think they don't. And so if you're an adult who's managed to avoid it most of your life, like, like I did, uh, just, uh, this, this could be, this could be a useful entree. And if, if you've got teenagers, uh, who are, um, dabbling, shall we say in, uh, you know, socialism or some other, 
abomination. This this might be just the uh, lifeline they need to help them um, claw their way back to uh, to reality. Uh, we, you know, when you were researching the book and in, in your own self education in economics, uh, who were some of the authors that you found most useful um, to engage with? You know, Adam Smith for sure, but but uh, uh, beyond Smith. Well, you know, I'm 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 one of these guys. Uh, you know, I work for the Wall Street Journal opinion pages, uh, so you won't be surprised to learn that I'm a fan of Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell. But um, you know, there are books that you don't know exist until you start rattling around. Now, of course, some people listening to this podcast will know these books exist, and I understand that. Um, I understand that, so you don't need to comment or, or send me messages about it. But there's a book that I'm looking at right now on my desk called Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. And that was kind of the book that I had in mind. Um, I think every time someone, certainly publishers want to know what it is you're trying to do when you uh, pitch them the idea of a book. And that was the book that really, um, that I had in mind uh, when I was writing this book. Um, a, a sort of a, a, a pocket uh, economics, a pocket uh, free market economics, something that uh, someone who is terrified of the notion or thinks that economics is all about money or all about accounting could read, enjoy, and, you know, maybe learn a few things. I don't, I don't, um, I want to caution people who might be thinking of having a look at this book that it's not uh, as I said in the very first sentence, I'm not an economist, so you should not expect anything resembling a textbook in this book. It's simply uh, my view of the world uh, as a mid-20th century American who has uh, worked in journalism and somewhat familiar with economics. Well, thanks, Matt, very, very much. Um, good luck with this book. It's, it's out April 12th. It's called Visible Hand. And it is a, a, a kind of friendly guide to basic economic principles, uh, as I said at the, the outset, written in very, very clear, punchy prose. So um, thanks again for coming on. Don't forget to check out Matt Hennessy's earlier work on the City Journal website, www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his author page in the description. Uh, you can find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a ratings on iTunes. So, Matt, thanks again for coming on. It's my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.